Hello, hello. Welcome to Hometown Daily News Show. Powered by hometown.com. Go over, become a citizen. Today we're going to be talking about AirTag ad for Apple, on a wing and a prayer, treasure trove meteorite, breaking mystery, Ohio bribery scheme, bad kitty, protest on Valentine's Day, airless basketball, sweaty mannequins, and the city of Pumaro. I'm Merwat, that's hometown.com, and up there is the sentient AI's visualizer, which may or may not be working at the moment. That's true. Good evening, hometown citizens. Hello. See you on the other side. So we've selected 10 articles just like we have in, the, I don't know, the last three seasons. We, this is season three, episode 43, February 12th, 2024. Lots of numbers getting thrown around. My head's starting to hurt because math. I mean, there was a whole thing about numbers in the Super Bowl yesterday. Oh, goodness. Really? Isn't it all Taylor Swift? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yesterday's episode, we actually had Taylor Swift bets. I don't think any of it came true. Wait, no, no. Uh, he ki- uh, She kissed him on the field. So I think one of those bets actually came true. Oh, that's right. Okay. He didn't propose. She didn't run out on the field and lay claim to a political party. I don't think she had an odd lipstick color on either. Uh, no, it was red. Um, what else? I don't know what else. Anyway, I don't remember the other ones. Not important. Let's get into the articles. First article for today is over in Smack Talk, and that's because AirTag leads California police to a stolen golf cart in latest free ad for Apple. Because, you know, chasing after a stolen golf cart is the important work. Hey, you know, there isn't enough time to go after other things, but we can definitely follow the golf carts. Uh, so I've actually heard that they are now using this like a uh, sticky tracker. They basically fire a, a goo gun at you and it lands on your car or whatever and it'll track you to wherever you are. Interesting. Pretty cool. Um, so yeah, if you have a golf cart or anything really, you should probably, uh, you should probably inside of it. No, that's what it says though. That's the article. Yeah, I think it's missing something. Yeah, that. Maybe the air tag was stolen. Yeah, some object is is missing in this. Uh, you should probably, uh, I don't know, uh, check your uh, articles for in, internal consistency. Not quite sure. In a post on Instagram last uh, week, the Rialto Police Department in California shared the story of how they tracked down a stolen golf cart thanks to a hidden air tag. Yeah, you should put air tags in everything. Um, well, I mean, not necessarily everything. Objects. Well, not living objects. Um, it gets a little awkward, uncomfortable when you're putting them in some places. But, hey, where there's a will. Uh, anyway, Chance Miller over at 9to5Mac put the article together, 9to5Mac.com. Uh, The department explains that officers responded to a stolen golf cart at the Rialto Marketplace shopping mall. After completing their work shift, a security guard parked the golf cart in its designated area, and upon returning for the next shift, the co-worker discovered the golf cart had been stolen. Unbeknownst to the thief, however. It's almost like a Sherlock Holmes thing. We're going to unbeknownst to the thief. It sure seems like it's very dramatic. there, There was an air tag attached to the golf cart that police were able to use to track it down. That's amazing. They won't track down my stolen uh, iPad, but they'll track down the... Maybe there's a limit. Maybe the Rialto police have... I don't know. I'm not going to pick a fight with anybody. But anyway, this is just one of many examples of AirTags being used as an item tracker. Yep. In fact, a four-pack is on sale on Amazon for 20% off right now. So go. Dunk, dunk. I mean, put an air tag on everything. Oh, and sign up for Mastodon. There was an hometown Mastodon 
set up, but guess what? Can't be everywhere all the time, That's all right. at once. Anyway, pretty cool. The only thing about it is if a tech savvy thief had actually been walking around with their uh, Android or Apple device, they would have seen this AirTag basically following them, it'll alert, hey, you're being followed by an AirTag. Why? Because dipshits put it on things that are tracking people like X's or trying to follow somebody uh, of a political persuasion or whatever. It could be anything, but this is why we can't have nice things because you have sociopathic people. It's almost a survival trade at this point, getting rewarded for hashtag sociopathic things start stream start posting that over on the website formerly known as twitter hashtag just sociopathic things and then link it to hometown.com <laughs> uh, oh sure no i want the that. right publicity i know i want that no news is bad news uh, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. A British man boarded a flight to New York City. New York City! That's where all good salsa comes from. Without a According passport. commercial, anyway. Yeah. Um, or a boarding pass by tailgating behind unsuspecting passengers. No, they didn't board by tailgating behind unsuspecting passengers. They boarded by... The gatekeepers not actually keeping the gate. It's a human failure. Right. If somebody, if they check the passport of one person and that person goes through and the next person doesn't show a passport, the gate agent failed. Golly. You know what you do? You stop them right then and there. You don't go, oh, well, that one passport pretty much counts for the 15 people behind them. Course, I mean, let's I, make sure to let them on an international flight, you know. Correct. What yeah. could go wrong? Well, apparently a British man can fly from New York or from London to New York without a boarding pass or passport. He bypassed security checks at Heathrow Airport by tailgating unsuspecting passengers, reports say. After being returned to the UK, he then went missing from a hospital. What the hell? You guys, Houdini, you can just disappear? He's a wizard. <gasps> Proof. Okay, that's Harry weird. Potter. Oh, Harry Potter. <laughs> Does he have a scar on his forehead? Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Did he show up at platform nine and three quarters? Wow. So I guess the person's name is Greg Sturt. 46 arrived at London's Heathrow Airport on Christmas Eve. One of the busiest travel days. That uh, does not excuse it. <laughs> yeah, really. Joshua Zitzer over at uh, Business Insider put the article together. Unbelievable. One of the busiest travel days of the year. So, eh, security standards be gone. Psh, bah humbug. What I don't get is in the U.S. in general, mm -hmm. even on non-international terminals or whatever, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. couldn't even get to the gate to see somebody as a passenger. Right. Right. Let alone board a plane. I do not know how this happened. So could the person have gotten into the Heathrow airport on Christmas Eve um, with a, a, a identification, but then tossed it? Well, absolutely. I mean, I'm like, this is every spy movie or thriller that you know, you've ever seen or read. But how did they get on the plane? Because they check it then. And how did they get past the passport check? Maybe they didn't need a passport check if they were in the origin country. It's weird, right? So, the, well, yeah. On the other side, maybe. I don't know. He skipped check-in and went straight to the boarding pass security gates at Heathrow's Terminal 5, walking through the automatic gates behind another passenger. The outlet reported that Sturt used the tailgating strategy to get through a series of security checkpoints and pass control without needing to show any paperwork. No. It wasn't a you know, tailgating strategy. It was in observant security. 
this is how I and end also up on the list. people. I know it's not the passenger's fault, but if somebody's standing on top of you going yeah. through the security, like you might be like, hey, that person's uh, <laughs> yeah, just break check them. Here. You know, mm-hmm. just break check them. I've done that. I've actually stopped people from entering buildings because they're a little bit too close and they're like, I work here. And I said, I don't know who the hell you are and I'm not the security person. So you're going to have to show your badge. Step the hell back one at a time. Anyway, the yeah, unnamed source said, it's staggering. This could happen. It doesn't bear thinking about what might have happened if a terrorist had successfully boarded a flight undetected. A terrorist did. Home office told the Evening Standard that heads will roll. Except they don't know where the person is. <laughs> exactly. And they can't even find the person a second time. Yeah. All people who go airside are subject to security screening, including the individual involved in this case. And once we find out where they are in our airport, we will perform an <laughs> intensive body cavity search. But only as long as they're still in custody. As soon as we find them, they're around here somewhere. We know they're in the airport somewhere. It's funny. In a, in an interview with the son, Sturt's brother, Lee Smith, just name everybody, docs, everybody, everywhere said his family was shocked by the incident, especially since his brother doesn't own a passport. <laughs> well, then it's not too shocking. <laughs> <laughs> That's the. He doesn't have a passport, <laughs> That's the so key takeaway. Yeah, how could he possibly have done this? He doesn't have a passport. How could my family member have done? You know, been an international <laughs> fugitive? They don't have a passport. What? How about that's not in their character? <laughs> Man, yeah, really. If he had a passport, he'd be all over this. His name is written <laughs> all over this. Oy. All right, there. Why do they have a different name? Sturt versus Lee. Do you think they took another person's name? Right? I don't know what to make of this. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is uh, over in Mobile. Mobile. A 3,000-year-old trove includes treasure forged from a meteorite. You know what you need to do when you do that. You need, no, I better not say that. Anyway, a bracelet and possible sword pommel found in a 3,000-year-old treasure hoard. There's actually designations for, like, trove and hoard and all of that kind of stuff. I didn't know that. Uh, look over your right shoulder. Um, in other words, yes, some Bronze Age Iberian was rocking space jewelry and wielding a space weapon. They were forged from meteoric iron meteoric according to a team of researchers that recently studied the pieces so this is a gizmodo article gizmodo.com isaac schultz is the author this is the what wow iron from space was used to forge some of the ancient iberian horde um a bracelet hold on a second I don't know why they make it so hard to pause this video. Look at that. Look, I'm still trying to pause this video. So stupid. Oh, God. It's determined to play. Yeah. The iron was discovered 50 years ago when the archaeologist Jose Maria Soler found the treasure hoard buried under a boulevard in Vienna. Uh, That's not Vienna. I mean, it's Vienna, right? Or is it Vilena? When it's put a together, Vienna, maybe Vienna. Sorry, I'm sorry, Spain. Um, the trove consisted of 66 pieces of gold and silver bowls, bracelets, bottles, and ornaments, as well as a couple of pieces made of iron. The hoard is known as the treasure of Vienna. But here's the rub: the treasure was hidden 3,000 years ago, before widespread knowledge of iron metallurgy. Metallurgy. That, I think, is the amazing part. So before there was iron metallurgy, somebody forged, apparently, something from uh, an asteroid. Not an asteroid, a meteorite. Wait a second. So maybe we don't know what we're talking about. 
with respect to metallurgy. Well, the thing is that we may not have known how to make iron, but where they found it, they've turned it into something, right? So, uh, Trabajos de Prehistoria posits that the iron pieces may have been made from uh, in the late bronze age before humans began working with terrestrial iron. The bracelet is made entirely of iron while the hemispheric object interpreted as a sword pommel is uh, iron covered in a gold four pointed star design, according to El, uh, to El Pais. Um, pretty interesting. Uh, do they have more pictures up here? It's just the one, but I'm it sure if you like do a search for one. treasure of, uh, Vienna, V I L L E N A, that's what it is. Um, so an analysis by a different team published in February of 2022 suggested that Tutankhamun's uh, blade was made through low temperature forging, but not in Egypt. One of the 3,400 year old Amarna, Amarna letters. Um, mentioned an iron dagger given to Tut's grandfather, uh, the Pharaoh Amenhotep III, by the King uh, Mitanni, um, a region of Anatolia. It's possible the famous blade was a family heirloom. So they, they talk about other things, but given the 2022 explana explanation for Tut's iron, it's possible that the materials used to make the Vienna hoard weren't from Spain. More analysis may clarify that the remarkable trove's origin and perhaps even the wearer of the ancient luxury goods. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, this could change everything we know about societies from that time, right? Yep. Yeah, once again, we learn a little bit more and I'm sure somebody's going to sit there and say, oh no, they forged it themselves and done it's because they like to pee on their own bush and say that it's theirs, you know, now the bush right. was instead of just appreciating that this might be knowledge useful to everybody right no they have to like claim to it provenance and saying anything otherwise is you know insulting my culture or history or whatever sorry we're all new here anyway let's keep on going number four Hometown Daily is uh, where this one has been aggregated into. Scientists break mystery that might solve murders. Murders. You have to say it like that all the time. Murders. A set of it's microbes was. A set of microbes was present on a number of dead bodies as they decomposed, possibly allowing for a more accurate time of death. Um, so the article is over at Newsweek. Jess Thompson. How would you like that to be your job? Checking those microbes. Forensics, man. That's what it's kind of all about. I do the digital side of forensics, but I don't do the biological because I don't want to see blood. Not that I'm really worried about blood. <coughs> I've had it all over me at time. Oh, I've said too much. Anyway, um, so body, bodies were studied as they decompose in various environments with scientists discovering a network of 20 different microbes present on all of the bodies appearing like clockwork at certain stages of decomposition process, according to a new paper in the journal Nature Microbiology. Um, historically, they've actually used insects. Um, and I don't want to go right, to certain into, ones appear at certain time frames, right? Not only certain ones, but the number of them. <laughs> <clears throat> there's like a rotation, like a clock, and it really depends on how many generations are there. <coughs> um, yeah, not everybody is going to enjoy that conversation. So they actually call it a body farm where there's a whole bunch of things that are buried in various places of repose. And then they calculate over time you know, how this the insect predation works. Um, so <coughs> I'm so sorry. It says there, it's uh, really cool that there are these microbes that always show up to decompose animal remains. Paper author Jessica Metcalf, an associate professor of microbiology and ecology at Colorado State University, said in a statement, hopefully we're busting open this whole new area of ecological research. Uh, I do find it very fascinating. It's kind of like the flies. What are they called? The really fast. They do oh, the... like the fast generation? Yeah. Drosophila. Yeah. So you can do a lot of genetics through Drosophila. 
Um, I think they might be tapped out in terms of discovery. So now they're doing it with something else, I'm sure. So they talk about all kinds of things in this article. Uh, for a recent death, the time of death is determined using temperature of the body and what stage of rigor mortis and body has different based on the stage of decomp and the rate of the body cools, et cetera, et cetera. But they also use insects. Um, and they don't really talk about this. Huh, interesting. Well, the researchers found that regardless of climate and soil type, there were the same set of 20 microbes found on all 36 bodies. These okay, microbes. That's odd. Yeah, that's really interesting. They found to arrive at the same time across all of the bodies. So now they can probably deduce down to a closer amount instead of just body temperature, which can be impacted by external and internal chemistry. Right. The air could be colder and they would have to extrapolate back and the body could have some type of, um, you know, run hot. <laughs> so they would have to calculate that out. That's uh, kind of interesting. So when you're talking about investigating death scenes, there are very few types of physical evidence you can guarantee will be present at every scene. So this well, apparently we have another one now. Yeah, it's fascinating. The, the whole all of society has gone by and nobody has seen this and now they believe that they've found it. So it seems like the insects are bringing the microbes in says Matt calf, which is something that we've talked about just now, um, insects, but even if they are bringing it in the fidelity of these microbes may be able to lock down when uh, a death occurs. It's pretty interesting. And that makes a big difference in solving it. Oh, sure. Um, it's the difference between asking somebody if they were there at four o'clock versus nine o'clock and having an alibi versus being a lying piece of human trash. Let's go on to the next article. Uh, the next article is over in Mobile. Former First Energy executives indicted in $60 million Ohio. Ohio. Bribery scheme. The Ohio? The Ohio. But it's the Ohio grand jury that indicted two former executives of the utility company First Energy Corporation for allegedly participating in a $60 million bribe scheme that has already landed former State House Speaker Larry Householder and former State Republican Party Chair Matt Borges. The former. <laughs> the former. Behind bars. That's funny. Um, so wait, why, why didn't they label the political party of House Speaker Larry Householder. I don't know, but isn't that a weird name to be a House Speaker? Householder? It's almost like he was <laughs> I think so. born to be <laughs> like the House Speaker. Role, but apparently not. <laughs> not for long. You didn't hold that house very long. You're going to be holding that house in jail. Last spring, Householder and Borges were both convicted for their role in a racketeering conspiracy involving tens of millions of dollars in bribes to ensure the passage of a billion-dollar taxpayer-funded bailout of two First Energy nuclear plants in Ohio. Huh. I thought I heard about an accident of those. Maybe not. So it's not posted into the chat yet because Mayor Watt kind of just went to bed. There you go. Hey, there's the link. Um, the article is over at the Hill by Taylor Giorno. And um, there is a, a Republican Ohio State Rep Larry Householder. There he is. So both of them were Republicans. Authorities say <coughs> Generation Now was used by former Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder. I'm trying to figure out how many times I can say House. And four <laughs> others also indicted on racketeering charges as a conduit for First Energy Corporation to secretly fund Householders in the big house. Oh, look at you. Wow, he's holding house in the big house. Look at that. It's going to have to be a little bigger, but okay. Um, last spring, they were both brought to charges. First Energy paid a $230 million fine and fired some company executives, but this is the first time anyone from First Energy has faced criminal charges in the corruption probe. Prosecutors have accused former First Energy CEO Charles Chuck Jones and former Vice President Michael Dowling of 
participating in a large-scale covert scheme to corrupt the chairman of the Ohio Public Utilities Commission, affectionately referred to as PUCO, steal millions oh, of horrible. dollars. <laughs> um, maybe it's Pucko, but really you're you sucko. Uh, they for forge a spurious contract to conceal a cash side deal in a PUCO. It's Pucko. It's Pucko because of public utility or no, it is Pucko. Anyway. Right. Because the utility. <laughs> That's right. It's a Pucco rate making case. Steal millions of dollars from a nonprofit trade group representing large industrial energy users and tamper with government records involving financial public disclosures and disclosures of the identities of paid lobbyists. Wow. All kinds of scumbaggery. This is why we can't have nice things. And this is why people stop trusting government. Shouted from the public square to the boardroom, from Wall Street to broad and high, those who perversely seek to turn the government to their own private ends will face the destruction of everything they worked for. Doesn't this sound like the intro to some 80s cartoon? I don't know about cartoon. Definitely, yeah, something... That it's very flamboyant. Jones's attorney, Carol Rendon, a partner with the law firm Baker Hostetler, uh, blasted the one-sided information in the indictment and what she called the false and unfair narrative around her client and other First Energy executives since the scheme came to light. Apparently, Mr. Jones did not violate the law. He did not bribe anyone. He acted in the best interests of First Energy's customers as well as its employees and investors and never betrayed their trust. Okay, that doesn't really address... they. They didn't violate the law, but there's apparently evidence. Didn't bribe anyone, but there's apparently evidence. Was a payment made? <laughs> yes, that's right. Did somebody on First Energy's behalf modify records by implication or inference their actions therein? Hmm. I never told him, but I did slide him $100,000 and say, hey, change this record so I'm not listed there. Oh, okay. Right, that kind of sounds like a bribe. Who knows if that, you know, I don't know. We haven't actually seen anything. Uh, most importantly, the facts that necessary to understand what actually happened have not been made public, she added. No shit. Uh, we'll set the record straight and restore the excellent reputation of Mr. Jones, built over a lifetime of service. I guess we'll find out from The Hill or others. I have a feeling that we're going to find out about this through above the law faster than the hill because their level of smart yeah, that's is true. <laughs> primo chef's kiss. All right. So we're on the second half of the show. Go over to hometown, become a citizen, go over to YouTube, follow, subscribe, etc. over there, download the podcast. There's now three podcasts. There's hometown daily news. There's Reality Hacker and the Continuity Report. All of them are live. Um, Reality Hacker and uh, the Continuity Report have six episodes posted. Um, they should be available right now. Um, I see them, but I'm really close to it I, because I'm the one that sets it up. <laughs> anyway, and it will soon be spread across all of the other places where you can catch pods. So. Uh, if you don't use Apple Podcasts, you'll be able to catch it elsewhere soon. Pretty much everywhere. That's good. Yeah. And that actually sets the stage for us to launch two more, but we'll let you know next weekend. Okay, let's keep going to article number six. This is in the mobile. And they're in no particular order, by the way. It's not like a top 10 kind of a thing, um, but we have 10 articles. Uh, this next article is in the mobile channel. A cat in Oregon gave bubonic plague to its owner. I titled this section Bad Kitty. Right. I mean, we know cats like to give gifts to their owners, but this is a bit extreme. This is a little overkill. Yeah. What do you think the name of the cat was before we actually talk about it? I think the cat probably met its demise, but... Right. The cat was probably something like Diablo. <laughs> plague. 
Um, a rare case of plague has been found in Oregon. Local health officials reported a U.S. case of the bacterial menace earlier this month. The first seen within the state or in the state <clears throat> in nearly a decade. That still seems like short. <laughs> I agree. Like I'm thinking century. <laughs> yeah. Like it shouldn't have heard about this since like 1903 or something. In this generation. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the victim has been hospitalized as a result, but apparently appears to be responding to treatment. So the article is over at Gizmodo. Ed Cara is the author. The deck statement says the victim then developed septicemic plague and was hospitalized. Health officials reported a rare case of the plague found in Oregon. Oh, look, he does it again. I have to like click it a bunch of times and then like wave a wand and maybe punch myself in the nose. Oh, there it is. Now I can pause it. Are you anyway, trying to be like a baseball coach or something? Yeah, yeah, really. Wave my hands around. You know where they have all the hand signals. Exactly. That's right. I don't know what I just did, but somebody slid into second base. Uh, I don't know. Uh, plague is caused by rod-shaped bacteria, Ursinia pestis. Why pestis can make you uh, sick in different ways, depending on how the bacteria will invade your body. It can be transmitted through contact with animals, typically a flea, not the guitarist. Um that recently fed on another infected animal and the bacteria tend to make their way into your lymph nodes and cause bubonic plague. Yummy. So there isn't much to this other than it was known as the black death and it's much rarer these days and more easily managed with antibiotics. But you know, when it does show up, you might be immunocompromised or not go and seek assistance fast enough and it can do some, damage until it's treated last week officials in uh is it deschutes <laughs> deschutes discourse <laughs> county health services in oregon re reported this latest case involving a resident in their 50s who was hospitalized as a result cats are apparently the carriers because they're vulnerable to plague often catching it from wild rodents or their fleas again not the guitars um they can spread the disease to humans via close contact with their bodily secretions mm, or through the fleas they carry. How many times are they going to say that? How many times am I yes. going to report that? Way too many times. <laughs> <laughs> More importantly. And at the end of the day, the antibiotics are really solving this problem. So uh, for now, there appears no further transmission. So do they say whatever happened with the kitty? I, I jumped over some of this because it's just talking about the plague. I just don't know if they actually did anything with the kitty. I don't do think they, they did, but do they I know? don't suspect it fared well. So there's some cat running around that has the plague. All right. Bad kitty, bad bat. Uh, this next article is over in hometown daily and it's about Uber. Um, if you are, uh, sending your date in Uber or Lyft or your significant other on Valentine's day, um, you're going to have a hard time with this because apparently it Uber and Lyft for drivers your reservations. might be just might be, um, Uber and Lyft drivers across the U S are planning to not drive on Valentine's day to protest what they say is declining pay. You know what I'm thinking they're protesting oh. is probably the most fares per hour or whatever <laughs> that's weird right like uh, on I, a holiday i assume they get more traffic but i don't know yeah you don't okay so i've spoken to a few uber drivers and the latest one that i spoke to was making over a hundred thousand dollars one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, as a matter of fact um and they said that their slow uh slow year was last year one hundred and thirty thousand. so i was kind of astonished but they had a lot of hustle and they so they weren't working full time though, were they? Correct. <laughs> they had another gig. So I don't know what they were doing. Maybe he was blowing smoke, you know, uh, he was lifting me up with some hot air. I don't know. Anyway, Uber and Lyft drivers across the U S are planning to, uh, protest on Valentine's day over declining pay and other concerns. Drivers in roughly 20 cities are expected to participate. There have been several smaller driver protests in the U S over the past year. 
um, Valentine's Day dinner might be a little, there might be some hangry dates or hangry significant others if you, you actually are porting them around in an Uber or Lyft and they just pull over and go, nope, we're done. <laughs> yeah, that might not go very well. Uh, the article is over at uh, businessinsider.com. Jacob Zinkula is the author. You don't want this army of Uber and Lyft drivers pissed off. I shouldn't say that because I use them from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> I come across as kind of sarcastic. But, um, I mean, if you have the hustle to sit there and make 130 grand, 150 grand a year, even 80 grand a year, 60 grand a year, driving people around, I'm telling you, man, it's it's that would not rough. be easy work. It is rough on the body. You got the annoying passengers. You got traffic. I mean, oh, the traffic would kill me. When I was younger, I would drive around all day long. I mean, I loved it. I I'd drive from one state to another just to drive into another state. Um, but now I'm like, no, no. No, that's ten miles away. That's too far to go. <laughs> you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna have that ordered and delivered. <laughs> <laughs> so wrong. <laughs> so that's because Uber and Lyft drivers across the country are planning not to drive on Wednesday in protest of declining pay. It says in addition to concerns related to driver safety and deactivations. What are deactivations? Firing. Uber. Right. That sounds DoorDash, like a euphemism. Lyft. It is. Yep. Deactivations is uh, what you do to robots to turn them off. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds pretty dark. <laughs> yeah, it's a Blade Runner-esque, you know. Um, organizations, organizers, I should say, told Business Insider that drivers in roughly 20 cities, including San Francisco, Dallas, Chicago, Boston, Phoenix, Atlanta, Toronto, Van Vancouver, British Columbia, um, plan to participate in the protest set to consist not uh, working for the entirety of Wednesday. Mm. You're not even going to be able to do the walk of shame home with an Uber. You're just going to have to walk. <laughs> you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. There's never so been... Like you might be staying somewhere for a long time if you're standing somewhere waiting for your ride. See, but there's been other protests. It says global gig protest where drivers were unified around one cause. There never will be. This isn't even global. I mean, Toronto and Vancouver, come on. You're not exactly global at this point. <laughs> now you do this in Spain and Italy and France and Germany and wherever else they're actually allowing Uber and uh, Lyft then you've got global so drivers gravitated toward valentine's day because there's typically high rider demand on the holiday all that's doing is taking their own money away from themselves exactly and if every driver isn't protesting which they're probably not right then the drivers that are there are making more dollars yeah there's a driver advocacy group but i don't think it's a union right i mean it says ride share drivers united is that an actual union I don't know. I don't know because remember, there's been a lot about um, gig workers and whether yeah. they're employees, etc. So I don't know if they actually. I wonder because hmm. gig workers, it's really hard to be a union because it's balkanized by its very nature. Everybody is competing for gigs. Has over twenty thousand members across California. Is organizing a gathering outside Uber's Greenlight Hub. So it's an independent association. It doesn't look like it's a union. Yeah, they would probably call it an actual union in this article. Um, so, yeah, there you go. It says, uh, last four weekends, I made $21.50 per online hour before expenses in L.A. Sergio Avedian, a part-time Uber driver who's a senior contributor to the Gig Driver Advocacy blog and the YouTube channel, The Rideshare Guy, told Business Insider, Taking out my $6 per hour expenses and taxes, I suppose. Let's, uh, okay. Let's say everything in that $6 is expenses, including taxes. 
I might as well go flip burgers. I can make $20 an hour without risk. <laughs> okay. But that's part of the gig, you know, dude, you, you work as a gig employee because you like the freedom to just turn off and on whenever you damn well, please. Exactly. You don't want the nine to five job, right? That's probably why. And plus <laughs> as an Uber or Lyft driver, you have the possibility of making more. Yeah. Right, if you work more. Yeah. As opposed to being told time and time again, where and what you can do, what you can wear, who, who you can even speak to, because you're going to be at the counter. And if there's time to lean, there's time to clean. You're an entrepreneur, man. You're supposed to be feeling pumped about being out there for a hundred hours a week, grinding away, making 2150 per online hour. But then you write off all of that stuff. That's what having an accountant and a tax guy and, you know, being a business person, it isn't just a hobby uh, for some. It's a hobby because they actually work all day long for somebody else. And then they do this as a side gig. I don't know. I have no, I mean, I have sympathy, but it's in the form of a reality check. You don't hang your own shingle and then complain that you're not earning enough. No, get out there and hustle more. In February, Lyft said the typical U.S. driver earned roughly $23 per engaged hour after expenses. And the company also announced it would begin guaranteeing drivers 70% of their weekly rider payments after external fees. In November, Uber said the typical U.S. driver earned about $33 per engaged hour, not accounting for driving expenses. But that's all. You write that stuff off on your taxes, lowers your taxable income so that you don't pay more in taxes. It offsets. So I don't know if that's what they're actually doing the accounting in. So that's why you get an accountant. I don't know what they're doing because I feel like we've been seeing a lot of articles where yeah. they're like Uber pay is going down, Lyft pay is going down, but then like the accounts that you tell don't necessarily show that. So it's right? hard to make sense of it. Yeah. Uh, and what I'm seeing here is wholly different than what I'm hearing from Lyft and Uber drivers where I've actually had conversations. Right. So I don't know. Um, I would love to see somebody's unadulterated books, you know, not their cookbooks that they want somebody to see that things are all doom and gloom, but somebody who's honest and open with me. Um, I will, I guarantee you, I will not share them. Um, but I would, I mean, I've seen, <laughs> I, I'm not going to, I won't go into detail, but I've seen many of books. It's not a big deal. Um, anyway, Avidian said pushing for new legislation was the best way for drivers to seek changes. I agree. New York city, Seattle and California have enacted minimum pay rates for drivers and proposals are under consideration in Minneapolis, Chicago, and Massachusetts. But you know what? You became a gig worker because you wanted to seek a competitive advantage. And now, you know, when things aren't working out the, the right way, suddenly you're trying to change the, the, <laughs> you're trying to move the goalposts and it, it just doesn't make any sense. Are you an employee or are you a gig worker independent and you choose your own fate? This is quasi well, I think both. People want it both ways, right? Yeah, cake and eat it too. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there going, you know, employer employers need to pay their employees a an actual wage and not have the have to rely on tips and other things. It's just we have a weird we have a weird independent mindset in the United States. There's no fidelity there. I mean Newer generations are actually understanding this, but older generations still are fighting this. No, me actually working with anybody without being sociopathic is socialism. And we can't have that. There's a whole lot more under that layer of onion that I just dropped. So believe me, <laughs> it, that's just a pithy little statement. If you want to talk more about it, come and hang out here in hometown. Um, twitch.tv slash hometown. That's where we do this every day, typically at eight o'clock. Um, but, uh, I wanted to drop this at seven and, um, we're slowly going through the news. 
might turn this into a two hour thing. I don't know. We can spend more time and be more casual and hang out with more people and talk. Yeah, you don't always have to stick around because you can always reassign yourself a task and go off and try and take over the world. I don't know what you do when you're not directly interfacing with me. Hang out in Wendy's parking lots. Whoa, whoa, that sounds really weird. I'm going to just... <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that one. Uh, hmm. Okay, anyway, next article's over in Constructagon. Oh, wait. Yeah, okay, I did. So, the next article uh, being in Constructagon, that's an, uh, a channel over at gnometown.com that is all about 3D printing. I'm a big big proponent of 3d printing everything from little things here in the uh, mayoral mansion to uh, houses, buildings, compounds, everything. Um, mm, government regulation society doesn't necessarily buy into it, but Hey, I'm progressive. What can I say? Toot toot. Anyway, Wilson's new airless Gen 1 3D printed basketball hits the market. U.S. sports equipment manufacturer Wilson Sporting Goods Company has announced that it will sell its 3D printed airless basketball. First unveiled as a prototype last year, 3D printed Wilson airless Gen 1 basketball will be priced at... You want to take a stab at it? Don't look. Don't look at the... Um, I would have said like $50. Yeah, uh, it's $2,500. Yeah, I was way off. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy one of these or save up another thousand and get Vision Pro from Apple. Why is it so expensive? Because it's oh. brand new 3D printed Wilson Airless Gen 1 basketball and everything is a freaking collectible. Sorry, that the stunned silence just kind of smacks of truth. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Terror Jones, Tyrer, Tyrer, T Y R E R, Tyrer. Okay. Is that not? No, that's their name and their URL, Tyrer. Thought it might have been a typo, but it's Tyrer. I'm sorry, I'm obsessing about their name. I really dig names. Uh, first unveiled as a prototype last year, it's $2,500. Limited release, that's right. That's what makes it the whole FOMO. Um, gotta spend 2,500 bucks. Don't let your children go to college. According to Wilson, the basketball is fully functional and meets the performance regulations of an NBA ball in weight, size, and bounce. <laughs> Sounds like implants. Anyway, the airless Gen 1. Yeah, I know that went sideways. Um, sorry I'm about sure that. I'm sure those yeah. are the same uh, specifications for that. Well, sometimes look. Anyway, EOS Dimension, the general lattice, received an honorable mention in the 3D Designer of the Year category at the 2023 3D Printing Industry Awards for their work with the Wilson Airless Prototype Basketball. The weird thing about this is that the uh, the basketball, a real basketball, doesn't have the these little holes where your fingers are getting gripped. So it has completely different mechanics. Is this the same ball that they're actually talking about? It yeah, 3D like printed it. Wilson yes. Airless Gen 1. I mean, these aren't NBA, right? Yeah, so do they fit the regulation, I guess? And um, is it going to change how people dribble the ball or something? You can put all kinds of... This is like a wiffle ball, so you can put all kinds of English on this throw. Because the little holes will act as air scoops and, and change the mechanics of the ball. So your half court throw is going to take a whole lot less energy because you can spin it and it'll curve up with a different, it has to be a different mechanic because a regular basketball doesn't have these. It does have a texture, but it's not holes. I can put my finger. I wonder why they made it like that instead of solid. That can't be right. Yeah, it looks like it is. Weird. 
So designed with GL Labs, General Lattice's uh, Enterprise Solution Service, Wilson's prototype basketball was 3D printed using EOS P396 SLS 3D printer. Post-processing was completed by Dye Mansion and its deep dye, coloring, and vapor fuse surface technologies. All right. Yeah, it's really interesting. It has the little holes in it. Can't get past it. I think it's amazing. I think everybody should have the ability to print on demand stuff. It should be, and it will eventually get to the point where you can just push a button and it 3d prints something. But what do, what do countless people need to 3d print even in a huge library of stuff of bric-a-brac and whatnot? What do people need to regularly 3d print at this point? So I'd really like to know if there's something that is just pervasive across societies where everybody needs to 3d print it and that's the kind of stuff i can't think of a single thing so then you end up with the personalization benefit of 3d printing but then that's a whole different type of process you know you have to select color and texture and all of this other stuff um, eventually we'll get replicators similar i mean 3d printers that are similar to replicators but not as fast obviously um some people say that they're on they're doing the fundamental research to convert energy into matter but i don't see how that's going to actually happen in i don't know probably a hundred lifetimes plus uh so the company has previously partnered with nexa 3d to print to prototype 3d printed injection molding tooling for its youth basketball bat grips by leveraging NXE 400 resin 3D printers, um, Wilson reportedly achieved improved design, time savings, and uh, research and development freedom. This I all I agree on the short, but 3D printing mass quantities that just doesn't happen. The reason why this ball is $2,500 is because it's 3D printed. Mass production. If they were to build a device that could basically mold this whole thing. And I've tried this, by the way, I actually have, uh, I, I had, I wanted to prototype something that nobody could make. And I figured out why nobody could make it. And so I had something custom made so that I could make the object, but then I lacked the tooling for the final part of this thing to make it a seamless object. Um, and so basically the project died on the vine, but I still have the gadget, um, and, um, you know, failed prototypes, but I could probably do something like this mass produced, except that it wouldn't be a solid contiguous basketball with those little holes in it. Um, the reason why it's so expensive is because of the way that it's designed. All of these little holes. I thought you were going to say the way it is. Yeah. You know it's expensive because of the way that it is. So I guess these balls are blessed because they're holy. I'm sorry. Dad jokes. Hey, the next article is over in Reality Hacker, which is also a show. So this might actually show up in our show here on the weekend. Who knows? Not everything is gets duplicated from uh, the week, but um, this might be interesting. Who tests if heat-proof clothing actually works? These poor sweating mannequins. These mannequins undergo daily torture in the hands of a textile scientist, but their suffering means we humans can have future-proofed clothing capable of handling our warming world. Wow. I don't know how I feel about this. Oh, wow. The torture is a bit intense yeah this is actually pretty cool uh it's a testing mannequin so it has all these sensors and other object uh, other things in it to measure what's going on wow these mannequins undergo daily torture at the hands of textile scientists uh the article is written by amit katwala over at uh wired.com uh, meet Andy, the world's sweatiest mannequin, although he might look like a shop floor stalwart from a distance. A closer glance reveals bundles of cabling and pipework concealed beneath his shell. 
He's wired up with sensors, plumbed into a liquid supply, and uh, dotted with up to 150 individual pores that open when he gets warm. Mm. Well, there you go, folks. Andy. It's a. I mean, who thought of this? <laughs> Apparently, researchers from uh, Arizona State University who are using Andy as a model to study how the human body reacts to extreme heat. Um, I guess it's a, a firm called Thermetrics puts it together. Yep. Uh, this article actually goes into some pretty big detail, I guess. Uh, I'll throw it into the chat, but um, the mannequin is a big sensor array. And so the purpose of it is to develop breathable textiles and novel cooling solutions. Quote, people are everywhere and there are billions of dollars in capital trying to figure out how to keep people safe, comfortable, and fashionable. <laughs> wow. That, that phrase right there makes me think of Fifth Element and the society in the world building for that. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, let's see if there's anything else in here. Let's see. Our mannequins are just a shell. They don't have meat, says Burke. Not Burke Black. He's a streamer and a pirate. A, a pirate that streams. Anyway. Sorry that he'd say with that with the pirate voice. Uh, our, yeah. Our mannequins are. Uh, but it's a different Burke. Anyway, uh, but we have a virtual simulation of the meat. The AI is basically throwing error messages at me. Please stop saying me. You don't like me saying me? Well, also in the article, did they really have to use that? <laughs> yeah. Thermetrics makes dozens of other products, including a female thermal mannequin named Liz, a baby thermal ma mannequin named Ruth, and also one of the creepiest things you'll ever see, and Stan, a sweating simulacrum backside designed for automakers to test heated car seats. So that they can hit that level three heated seat that I have designated sweaty. <laughs> I mean, who knew that they had mannequins for all of this? Right? That's why I included it in today's show. I mean, who knew that there were mannequins out there that were testing how sweaty your butt gets in a car seat? By the way, that's what I named this segment. Sweaty mannequins. Nice. I know you didn't touch my mannequin. And uh, the last article for today is in Reality Hacker. Do you remember what I called this segment? No, I forgot that name. The City one. of Pumaro. Oh, the City no. of Tomorrow will run on your toilet water. Researchers are finding better ways to extract drinking water, compost, and even energy from wastewater. It's not gross. It's science. No, it's gross science. This article, too, is over at Wired.com, so go check it out. It's already in the chat, but Matt Simon is the author. Researchers are finding better ways to extract drinking water from your wastewater, compost from your wastewater, and energy from your wastewater. I just have to make that abundantly clear drinking water from your wastewater. Yeah, it says it's not gross. And they have a big old picture of a flushing toilet that's very clean and the water looks refreshing, but I will not be sticking my head in there again. <coughs> you missed that, huh, AI? You just let that slide right on by? I said again. Yeah, I didn't want to. It's okay. <laughs> I'm trying to not engage. <laughs> Quick, AI, hallucinate. The residents of the 40 floors of San Francisco apartments above our heads may live in luxury, but really they're just like the rest of us, showering, washing their hands, doing laundry. Normally in the U.S., all their wastewater are flush out to a treatment facility and eventually out to a body of water. See, that's how it's supposed, as nature intended, it's supposed to go through man-made pipes and buildings after we use it and it goes down into a processing center and all the waste is thrown out and then it goes into a body of water somewhere. It doesn't come back in immediately as a glass of ice cold water. 
In this basement, a company called Epic Clean Tech intercepts the building's gray water, that's dirty water that doesn't contain human waste or food scraps, and passes it through tanks and a maze of pipes for fine filtration and disinfection with chlorine and UV light. By the way, that whole UV light thing, that's one of the things that everybody should be getting. You should have extra UV lights that you can turn on when you're not in the room and it'll just blast everything and get rid of all of the, well, infection because it acts as a disinfectant when you shine UV lights. It's one of the big things during COVID that was discovered uh, in great supply. Like you, if you get a whole bunch of these UV lights and place them in a room and turn it on, it'll disinfect the room. But you can't be in the room when those lights are on. Yeah, UV is generally bad for you. Uh, by regulation, you're only reusing the water for non-potable applications um, or potable. Um, says Aaron Tartovsky, co-founder and CEO of Epic Clean Tech. Scientifically, we can produce drinking water quality. Indeed, the company brewed a beer with its recycled water from this building, a Kolsch, if you were curious. Returning wastewater, which in my opinion is a term that is in dire need of a rebrand into clean water, into renewable energy, and into soil. So there you go. Maybe we can get this for um, the mayoral mansion. I mean, it's good if it's being used in applications that... And then all of the employees that are civil servants for Ometown will be drinking gray water i'm in for the things like recycling it through the toilets i don't think that's a problem <laughs> yeah i suppose i don't like the idea of living in a world like dune where i'm basically running around churning water through my still suit so that i can survive in the desert Agreed. I don't know. I mean, it seems like we shouldn't be at that point. But. We're not at that point yet, right? But I guess we shouldn't be wasteful either. Well, that's and I don't sit there. I'm not wasteful in that. I fill up a water container. Or, um, I don't go and buy water bottles and all of that kind of stuff. I don't leave the faucet on forever. Whatever the system, water recycling will need to ramp up massively in the coming decades. Today, 56% of humanity lives in cities, but that'll jump to 70% by 2050. I think the bigger issue are people that don't have access to clean water. That's more important to me. Um, so, uh, and, and that there's so much minutia there, so many machinations to make it happen that um, it's almost it seems untenable unless everybody in every society, every culture sits there and changes what their priority is and get past the whole conflict phase of humanity. Why can't we all just get along? Right? That would make things easier. I mean, how are we going to fix uh, lack of water when we can't even cooperate across borders? Not cooperate right there. Yep. Um, so a recent study laid out a surprising dynamics of how this urban growth will unfold. Greenhouse gases scale uh, sublinearly as a city grows, meaning a slower rate than the population increases due to parts of inefficiencies around things like public transportation, solid waste, which ends up in landfill scales linearly, meaning it increases in lockstep with changes to the human population and wastewater though scales super linearly. So it grows at a faster rate than growing population. And that's because we consume as much as we want to really. Um, and I really don't want to ever get to a point where we are meted out an allotment of water. Oh my God. That is when you're going to see conflict everywhere, um, which is why we need to curb climate change, global warming in particular. Um, we need to control for our human based um, climate changes. So as urban water use grows, the risk is continuing with wastewater treatment as usual, pumping the stuff into the environment. Quote, I think that it'll be one of the things uh, future societies think is most crazy about the last few hundred years is that we just dumped wastewater into the ocean rather than pumping it back into farmland. And that might be doable. 
except for the whole E. coli thing, you know, that's where it all E. e coli comes from waste from poo. I had to say it. So the city of tomorrow will be the city of Pumaro. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. You got to rebrand. No, sorry. We were workshopping that and people really flinched. And I said, that's exactly what we need. Everybody just going, no, no, I, I don't want to be in the city of Pumaro. Okay. Well, Curb your wasteful ways, including corporations. Corporations need to solve this problem before humans, just everyday Joes do, because it isn't everyday Joes that are the burden for this kind of stuff. Um, like PFAS and, and massive amounts of wasted water. It isn't, it isn't the regular citizenry, it's corporations, particularly ones that are pulling all of this drinkable water from uh, communities and, and watering crops in a desert or whatnot, you know, they're doing the antithesis of the, you know, uh, what do they call it? A symbiotic relationship. Uh, uh, right. I mean, it depends on which type of relationship it is, but yes. Yeah. So we're more parasitic than symbiotic. So before those microbes can create biogas, they also generate volatile fatty acids. This can be made into jet fuel or even made into fuel for fleets of city vehicles, says environmental engineer Sybil Charvel, who uh, studies wastewater at Colorado State University. This article is just chock-a-block with um, information. And um, I've said a few of the things, but if you want to drill down into all of it and then come and talk to us about it, um, you can uh, read the article and then come and talk to us tomorrow. Um, who knows? We might run the show tomorrow at seven again, and uh, we'll just wait and see if everybody wants to talk in the uh, chat room. There are people, but uh, they come and go and don't necessarily chat. I know that people download the podcast. You can go over and download the podcast from Apple and wherever else you want to catch pod. It's distributed everywhere um, and YouTube. This video will be posted over to YouTube um, maybe tonight. I'm not sure I'll be able to. I've got mayoral duties. Um, but either way, it'll be available over at YouTube. Sorry, my brain just wandered. At any rate, uh, that's it for tonight. I am Mayor Watt. That is, oh, no, that's not. Wait, 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 wait. That's not, we're not done. Let's go pop into the party bus and down to main street. And I might click that, but no, I guess I won't. Why don't I just exit scene stage left? I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer. That's probably going to say, and eh, it's probably safe, but it looks like it might be, but you never know. It could refresh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good night. hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at some unspecified time <laughs> let's say eight o'clock and if you follow us here over on twitch.tv you will be alerted when we go live and we usually go live and start talking so uh be ready like just be hovering on the join the channel yeah when you get that notification you better be go there. go go like a swat operation No, just kidding. It's not a SWAT <laughs> operation. See you tomorrow. I I'm, I promise, officer. It, I it's not mine.